Finishing sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. If the failing New York Times has an anonymous editorial, can you believe it? Anonymous, meaning gutless, a gutless editorial. Uh, we're doing a great job. The poll numbers are through the roof. Our poll numbers are great. And guess what? Nobody is going to come close to beating me in 2020 because of what we've done. I, I will say that I did willingly violate the chair's rule on the committee confidential process. Uh, I take full responsibility for violating that, sir. And I violate it because I, I sincerely believe that the public deserves to know this nominee's record. In this particular case, his record on issues of race and the law. So you're talking about the public right to know. You want to give up your emails right now? Make them public? I don't think you do. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome back to the program. Great to be with you. I want to ask for those listener stories. Hey, we need you to call in to 877-327-5647, and give us your story of how Urban Family Talk has encouraged you, how we've been a blessing to you, how maybe you've shared Urban Family Talk and you and uh, you know a friend are listening to it and being blessed by it. Uh, call now or in your spare time this weekend. We'd love to hear your voice on the air. Uh, it's a voicemail that you leave. It's really fast. And then we take that and turn it into a quick little promo for share which is coming up in about six weeks. So we're looking for those phone calls. The stories will actually air in the weeks prior to share and during share The number again is 877-327-5647. So let's talk again about those confidential documents. Uh, Senator Mike Lee went on to explain the law surrounding those, and I thought this was a fantastic bit of audio because uh, sometimes we just we we hear oh it's confidential documents and we don't really go in depth as to why they're confidential and who has the power to make them confidential or to declassify them, and so here's Senator Mike Lee explaining the confidential document law. Uh, if if you want everything to be made public or all the emails that you have whether I think they're protected for 50 years for United States senators. So you're talking about the public right to know. Do you want to give up your emails right now? Make them public? I don't think you do. Senator Lee. Uh, first of all, Mr. Chairman, I want to say I'm deeply sympathetic to the frustration people feel when they don't have access to documents they want. As a United States senator, I've faced this on a number of occasions. There have been times when we've been called upon to vote on legislation literally at the midnight hour, sometimes much later than that that we haven't seen until moments before it was voted on. There have been other times, and I kid you not, uh, uh, when I've been asked to vote on a piece of legislation that has an annex to it, and I've told that I can't see the annex to the legislation because it's classified, and it's classified in a way that I don't have access to because of a committee assignment that I do not have. It's incredibly frustrating. In those circumstances, we look for a demon. Uh, there are demons in those circumstances. They are too numerous to name here. In this circumstance, there is a demon, but that demon is of our own creation. It's called the Presidential Records Act. That's the demon that you're after here. That is the only reason we've got this issue. So the, this isn't about uh, any, any, anything trying to be withheld that has anything to do with the nominee. And he goes on to finish out the, the entire explanation. And meanwhile, this is during the committee hearing. So just Judge Kavanaugh sitting there. You got 
Cory Booker sitting there. He's got this look on his face. You would think that someone was torturing pups right there in front of him. And he was just, you know, in a state of utter abject horror. But that's not what was going on. He was really honestly just grandstanding and putting on for the cameras. Here's Mike Lee, too. Now, the custodian of those documents holds and exercises a privilege on behalf of the Bush administration. These are documents we would otherwise not have access to because they are privileged. Pursuant to an agreement with the Senate as an accommodation to the Senate, uh, the custodian of those records has agreed, notwithstanding the privileged nature of those documents, to hand them over to us with an understanding that when there is a need that arises with respect to one or more of those documents to make them public, uh, we can, as a committee, go through a process to do that. That is exactly what has happened. It's what has worked. And it's what has worked here today. So if you're frustrated with the process, then let's review the the Presidential Records Act. Um, But we're just doing what the law allows us here to do. These documents are not ours. They belong to someone else. It it is not written into the Constitution. It's not written uh, on stone tablets anywhere that we're entitled to documents that don't belong to us. Uh, It's significant that William Howard Taft didn't release his presidential papers. It's significant that Robert Jackson, having served as attorney general, didn't release all the papers he had as attorney general. Why? Well, I assume it had a lot to do with the fact that they didn't belong to us as a Senate. If we want to be able to have a process, not just with this administration, but in every presidential administration, Democratic, Republican, uh, or of any other stripe in the future, we need to respect the process and respect the privilege that is accorded to documents that do not belong to us. That's all we're asking. And the process is working. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's working all right. Um, I just don't. So this was supposed to be a a fantastic moment for him and it just blew up and it's not worked. Uh, Expect to see more. This is, this is his first attempt. He will attempt something like this again, getting expelled from the Senate would make him a very sympathetic character to certain voting blocks in this country and he's not been able to generate news otherwise. Uh, so, you know, he's going to be looking for a way to get his colleagues to push him out so he can spend all of his time working on running for the presidency. Uh, I think it's an interesting tactic for him to take. I don't think it's going to work. Uh, meanwhile, breaking news. Um, Burt Reynolds is trending on Twitter, and the reason he's doing so is because he's just passed away at the age of 82. He starred in Deliverance, Cannonball Run, The Longest Yard, uh, Smokey and the Bandit. And so many other movies. Um, a Hollywood icon, he's just passed away. And you're going to see a lot of news and probably commemorations for him um, as the day goes on and, and into tomorrow. It'll be interesting to see um, if the liberals choose to, you know, kind of try to vilify him. I don't know what his politics were, which is actually a positive. Like, that's a compliment. Um so it, it, but that's breaking news right now. Um, so aside from the records um, and the different, um, the different things that are going on with the hearing, it really hasn't gone badly for Judge Kavanaugh, at least from what I can tell. And I've listened to hours of it now, not every minute, but I have listened to hours of it. And it has been, in my opinion, he's really acquitted himself well. He has actually spent the time to explain things that you can tell that the questioners didn't expect him to explain it. 
And then when he takes the time to explain it, the follow on questions are kind of, it's like, you know, you're like, wait, are they talking to the same person? What's this? What, what I'm continuing questions from Senator so-and-so from last night. And you're thinking, well, how's he supposed to remember that line of questioning? He's been sitting there for like 14 hours, you know, not straight, but uh, eight hours today at least. So the other breaking news, Amway co-founder Richard DeVos is dead at 92. Wow. Wow. Um, pretty amazing. Amway. If you guys remember um, Amway from back in the day, people who used to sell Amway, what a network of individuals, people who had Amway networks. It was like they knew thousands of people before social media. Pretty amazing. Uh, So there's also a running list of individuals who have denied that they have anything to do with the anonymous op-ed. First off the gate, Vice President Mike Pence and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo have both denied that the article was them. Now, I want to just like, so obviously it's speculation, but just bear with me for a second. What if, so I'm wondering if the listeners saw that piece and took the time to read even just a, a smidgen of it. It was a New York Times deep dive piece kind of like a vanity piece on the Conway family. And in the piece, they're interviewing the Conways, the couple. The husband is not a Trump fan. And then you've got the wife who not only ran the campaign and was the first woman to ever you know, run a, a winning presidential election campaign, but she was also you know, obviously a very well-known pollster. And now she's an advisor to the president. She's in the, she's in the inner circle. But her husband regularly tweets out things that are negative about President Trump. So she's, it's an interesting dynamic between the two of them. And so in this expose piece, they go back and forth with each other. And you can tell there's some tension and strain over uh, the fact that they're not together on that. Well, then now this piece comes out. And so I saw some speculation earlier that it could be, no proof obviously, but what if it was Kellyanne Conway's husband? But does he count as a senior administration official? Hmm. He would be much more likely than some of the other people that they're saying. Like, So it's not going to be a military person because if you served in the military and you served honorably, meaning the military way became a part of your outlook and the way you operate, an anonymous letter to a media organization, that's not the way you're going to roll. Not General Mattis not Secretary Pompeo, who is already denied. So then you're, you're left with other staffers that we don't really know who they are, but there are like a thousand of them, a thousand individuals who are working, who would be considered, be, due to their role, a senior Trump administration official. These individuals are people, we, we don't know their names. We've never seen them on television. They're not talking heads. But they work at, say, the Eisenhower Executive Office Complex, which is that building that if you're looking at the White House, it's that large, multi-story, classically designed edifice directly to the right. That's actually where the majority of the people work because everyone can't work in the White House. Even though the White House is five floors and 55,000 square feet and lots of people work there, the majority of the individuals work in the Eisenhower Executive Office Complex. So it's interesting that the uh, 
the classified or the not classified, but the anonymous letter comes from a senior Trump administration official, but they don't give any other designations. Also in that anonymous op-ed, there's this um, reference to John McCain, which is pretty telling. There's also a discussion in there that's recounted where the person who wrote the op-ed says they heard from directly from another Trump aide. So if you think back, if you're working in the White House or the EEOC, you're thinking, hmm, wait, I said that. So then you think, who did I say that to? Now you know who the op-ed writer is. So it's only a matter of time before the White House sniffs this person out. And then I'm wondering what the president will do. I do wish just on this, the, you know, if wishes were unicorns and unicorns could write op-eds on that side, I do wish that the president would refrain from adding gasoline to the fire about the op-ed. Not that, I mean, he's already said he, he's already sent some tweets out, but going further so that it doesn't continue to have traction, I, I would, I would hope that he wouldn't have more tweets about it. Um, of course, he's a man of his own mind. He'll do whatever he wants. I, I seriously doubt if he listens to the show. So it's not, it's not as if I just shared anything with him. But I do think that their intention was to dominate the news cycle and to take some of the air out of this major accomplishment of choosing a Supreme Court justice and the hearings that are going along with that. If this story stays at the top of the news cycle, then you don't have as many Americans paying attention to the Supreme Court pick. And it allows them to then later come back in with stories that are false or, you know, slightly incorrect uh, about Kavanaugh. And so I, I would love to see the focus go back to the hearings for the remainder of the time that the hearings are going on. And as I understand it, today's the last day. And then moving on to the next, whatever the news cycle item is, um, also, in addition, because I saw some speculation about the letter being written by Dan Coates, on official letterhead, Office of the Director of National Intelligence Public Affairs Office, DNI Coates issued a statement on the New York Times anonymous op-ed saying the speculation that the New York Times op-ed was written by me or my principal deputy is patently false. We did not. So, another official on the record saying they didn't write it. We'll be back with Stephen Solomon right after this. Stay there. Meet Roxy, nurse director for the Preborn Clinic in Southern California. I have this lady, and she came in. She was very scared. Boyfriend didn't want her to have a baby, and she said, I don't want this baby. We provided an ultrasound. She was laying on a table, and there it was. It was a small baby. Then she heard the heartbeat. She heard the heartbeat, and she said, well, you know, it's alive. After hearing the heartbeat, she made a decision that she was going to keep her baby. She also made a decision that day to recommit herself to Jesus. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country, helping abortion-minded mothers to choose life for their unborn babies. To find out more about how you can help save a baby's life, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. All gifts are tax deductible. Your love can save a life. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Are humans the enemy? Should animals have constitutional rights? Should peas be granted personhood? These questions may sound ludicrous. Nevertheless, professors and leaders in environmental rights groups are asking these questions and providing bizarre answers. Wesley J. Smith was on Point of View Radio Talk Show to discuss his documentary, The War on Humans. You can watch it on YouTube and also order the companion ebook. You will quickly see or read that these questions are not satire or science fiction. There are people who believe that humans are the problem, and the only solution is to grant legal rights to animals and plants. Some go as far as to suggest that we might find a way to reduce the human population by 90%. Now, Smith documents these claims in his video and ebook. Anti-human activists want to place all of our valuable natural resources, from oil to land, off-limits for human use. Farmers could be held liable for plowing new fields because they might lead to the death of rodents, snakes, and even weeds. These ideas do not spring from the biblical concept of having dominion over the earth and being a good steward of God's creation. Instead, the environmental movement in the 1960s portrays humans as a disease, or as parasites, or a cancer hurting Mother Nature. It evolved into a nature rights movement that desires to give fauna and flora the right to exist, persist, maintain, and regenerate its vital cycles. We end up with a pantheistic idea that eliminates any distinction between humans and other life forms. These ideas don't just surface in academic settings or environmental rallies, they end up in our laws. That is why we need to counter these erroneous ideas and defend the biblical principle of human dignity. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. So we're supposed to be having Stephen Solomon on the show, and I do not see a phone number in there for my producer. Um, so I'm shooting off a note. If you'd like to call in, call lines are open 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. While we wait on a resolution on the guest, I want to go into a little bit more of what we've got going on. Um, so if you're wondering why most individuals, you heard Dr. Richard Land last hour, I've been expressing this since yesterday when I found out so many are online and all over the place talking about this and and writing in conservative media outlets about how the New York Times is not to be trusted over at townhall.com. They have an opinion piece by Phelan McKear, McAleer, which Phelan McAleer, sorry, I don't mean to, uh, incorrectly state his name relax president trump the new york times has a history of exaggerating the seniority of anonymous officials so in his piece he talks about how this so-called senior official he uses scare quotes around it uh has really like this spurious claim of people in the white house considering removing the president via the 25th amendment And that might be the most ridiculous claim in the entire op-ed that people who are working in the White House, instead of working for Donald Trump and having, you know, a strong sense of duty towards him, are actually there's just a whole gaggle of them that 
everything he does, they're swiping papers off his desk. Like there's no security in the White House. Like there's nobody standing around in the White House. The people who actually keep the place secure aren't standing there. And if someone swiped a piece of paper off the president's desk, they wouldn't say, what are you doing? I mean, they act as if we're, we're supposed to just buy this stuff wholesale. What are they thinking? It doesn't even pass the smell test. So <sighs> Phelan says President Trump should relax. And remember, it is the New York Times after all. And that they have a scandalous history of lying about the seniority of officials that they quote anonymously, especially when the source parrots their own agenda. Now, that's kind of funny um, because that's exactly what's happening here. This is about their own agenda. Um, it's about the th- this, this kind of amazing idea that if they don't win the election, if one side doesn't win, then it's their duty to unseat the person who did win, to delegitimize the race, to make the American people question the legitimacy of our government, which is actually, that's what's treasonous here. That's the kind of stuff that the Russians and the Chinese would love to be able to make the American people see our government as illegitimate. But instead of it being the Russians or the Chinese, we've got a political party doing that. So there's uh, some documentation here. A few years back, the New York Times was caught red-handed deceiving their readers in exactly the same way as they're doing right now with this anonymous op-ed. There was a lengthy anti-fracking article that they had in their, in their paper that said that senior industry experts and insiders believe the fracking industry to be little more than a Ponzi scheme, which was set up for failure. They even had the emails from a series of senior insiders where these doubts were expressed. According to the New York Times, one energy analyst wrote, am I totally crazy? Am I just totally crazy? Or does it seem like everyone and their mothers are endorsing shale gas without getting a really good understanding of the economics at the business level? Another federal analyst, scare quotes, said in an industry email, it seems that science is pointing in one direction and industry PR is pointing in another. Unfortunately for the New York Times, the emails were from the Energy Information Agency, a government organization. So this meant Senate investigators were able to find the original emails and work out the identity of all of these different senior experts. It turns out that the federal analysts, the energy analysts, and the officer turned out to be the same person who was actually an intern when he wrote the first email and in an entry-level position when he wrote the other comments. So the paper of record misrepresented that an intern slash junior employee was a senior official in order to push their anti-fracking agenda. Again, because I want to let this soak into you a little bit. The New York Times took one person's emails and attributed them to three different people and then attributed that those three different emails that were attributed to three different people, all three of those different people were claimed to be senior officials, senior experts. So if they were guilty of doing this about fracking, how much more readily would they put the same type of uh, activity in motion to discredit the Trump administration? I think one of the things we know is that they're very, very desirous of more of these kind of Omarosa-type 
things where someone leaves and is very disgruntled and has negative things to say. But notice, I just said, what did I just say? Omarosa. Where is she? Where is this much vaunted book that she wrote? Where are the recordings? She said she had 200. You would think with 200 recordings, she would literally be stretching out into, you know, just into the the far reaching future with all of her different, uh, you know, new stories surrounding all the recordings that she made. But she's gone. She's no longer the story. That didn't even last three weeks. So here we are with a paper of record doing this again. Now, there was a Senate investigation um, and the New York Times public editor, Arthur S. Brisbane, said, can an intern be an official? It doesn't sound right to me. But it sounded fine to the New York Times editorial board, who stood by their mislabeling of the intern low-level employee as a senior official. They later decided they didn't want their stories to be second-guessed in their own newspaper, so they ended the role of public editor. Sound familiar? So you've got New York Times public editor Arthur Brisbane questioning whether or not this anti-fracking source was all that it was cracked up to be. And upon his just questioning it in their pages, they basically said, eh, we don't, we don't want you around here anymore. We, we need someone who's going to support our lies. You have to go. So then they later decided that the reporter who misrepresented the intern should be rewarded for their work against, you know, against the mighty evil, evil fracking industry. And they promoted him. Ian Urbina is now the New York Times investigative reporter based in Washington. He received a promotion for misrepresenting one single low-level source as three separate high-level sources. He was rewarded for lying. So now that he's an investigative reporter, um, you can see how it's possible that someone saw what happened with this guy and said, I would like to be promoted too. And right now, the thing that they're looking for is someone who can give us dirt from the inside of the Trump White House. And so if this is allowed to stand, can we not draw forward what would happen next? What, is, what do you think is on the horizon next? Well, probably we're going to see more anonymous op-eds by this same unnamed individual and that that same unnamed individual would be leaking from the White House and providing a steady stream of negative coverage to the New York Times for which they'll probably make that person a member of the editorial board. And we won't know who the person is and if they're really a high-level official or if they're just someone who... This, so what if you were a high-level official? If they were willing to fudge the story for this other person uh, in, in the fracking industry and make him out to be something that he wasn't, then why wouldn't they do the same thing for this anonymous source? How do we know it's one person and not three or four? How do we know they're high-level instead of them being someone who just works in the White House during the day and has a day pass? How do we know this is a person who's actually in the inner ring of the Trump orbit to be able to make the comments that they're making as opposed to someone who works in the Eisenhower office complex and eats lunch over there and rarely goes into the White House at all. There are many, many, many people who work in the Eisenhower executive office complex 
who do not go into the White House on a regular basis. They don't work in the White House. They work in the EEOC. They don't have to be high-ranking to work over there either. You only need to have a pass that grants you access to the EEOC. So, I mean, with the number of people that are working in the Trump administration, with the sheer number of individuals who have hard passes and are able to get into the EEOC, with the sheer number of individuals who no longer work there but maybe have a bone to pick and maybe wrote an op-ed before they left the White House, do you see that rabbit trail we're starting to tiptoe down? We could go all the way down there, down, down the rabbit trail, and keep on running for years and years and years and years on speculation, and it could be this, it could be that, yada, yada, yada. Without a name and accurate verification, this story has no more credibility than their completely debunked fracking story, which coincidentally they never issued a correction for. They never corrected the record on that. So is it possible that they're funding a, you know, a a spate of these anonymous op-eds? I wonder if the president should just ignore it completely. Just don't. Don't don't give it any more oxygen at all. I know he said he, you know, they've they've got snakes and yada yada yada, but I'm just wondering if he should do anything, anything at all with this because it is something that can't be verified. So the more the president talks about it and gives it oxygen, the longer the story hangs around, but it's never verified. Unless they're able to find out who it is and present that information to the American people and just say, hey, look. We found out who it is. We know who it is. Um, so obviously the train to stop Kavanaugh, the protesters, everything else that's going on, it's, it's not panning out the way the Democrats had hoped it would. And my hope is that just like uh, Sotomayor and Kagan were given, they were given hearings, they were asked tough questions, and then they were given a vote, that the same thing will happen with Kavanaugh. Vote up, vote down, but not not anything other than that. So we've still got call lines open for you, 866-963-2037. Uh, so we, we've talked a little bit about um, the anonymous sourcing and, you know, the president's tweets about it. And um, we did mention the international flight from the Emirates that came through. And so now there's a little bit more of, of uh, development going on with that story. The CDC is now investigating after multiple passengers fall ill on a separate international flight coming into Philadelphia's international airport. This is crazy. Twelve passengers arriving at the airport on American Airlines, so not UAE, um, from Paris and Munich experienced flu-like symptoms. Multiple ambulances were dispatched to the airport. The information from CBS3, David Spunt, he says Philadelphia International Airport statement In reference to the sick passengers, this afternoon, 12 passengers arriving at Philadelphia International Airport on international flights on American Airlines from Paris and American Airlines from Munich were experiencing flu-like symptoms as a precaution. All passengers on the two flights, totaling about 250-plus crew, were held for a medical review and the CDC was notified. 
CDC, the Philadelphia Health Department, and Philadelphia Fire Department personnel performed medical evaluations and assessments, and the passengers, except for the 12 affected, are in the process of being released. Airport operations were not impacted during this time. The 250 passengers and crew on the flights were held for medical review, and um, they're saying that they performed medical evaluations. The passengers who did not fall ill are in the process of being released. It is not yet known what caused the people to become sick. No one was transported away in an ambulance uh, after that. And this is as of uh, really just like 10 minutes ago. This is breaking news from about 10 minutes ago from today. Um, really, what is, what is going on? Um, I hope that when they say the CDC is investigating, they're actually looking at this as from all different from all different aspects what what could this be what could this be coming from um and in addition a, another breaking news story out of Philadelphia having to do with their transportation in the airport um they actually had a woman stopped by the TSA who had a handgun at their uh, international checkpoint there so lots of interesting uh travel news and you know what are you going to do um, I guess you can't stop American citizens from coming into the country, even if they've fallen ill on an aircraft. And after you've evaluated them, I hope they're getting their names and addresses and everything so they can follow up and make sure that they're fine and make sure that there's not anything uh, contagious that's being spread around. So we've got AFR.net, American Family Radio, AFR.net, and also UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Um, you can go over to Urban, and we often have polls over there. And when we have our polls, it's really a way for us to check with our listeners and find out what you guys are thinking about different issues that are going on in the country. And also, we have an op-ed by Daryl B. Harrison, who is a fantastic writer, and he talks about how it's not about Kaepernick. Now, this is interesting, Um because Daryl Harris is, is he's a fantastic Christian writer, and he talks about the 30th anniversary campaign. We covered this a little bit on the show a couple of days ago about the Just Do It ad, the $3.8 billion in market share that they lost when they made the announcement, et cetera. And he's got an interesting piece over here. Um, I, would, I would encourage you to go there at urbanfamilytalk.com. It's on the homepage. and click it and take a look. We will be back with more right after this. Stay there. Stacy on the right. What does it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. After the journey of writing our first book, Quiet Strength, God impressed upon me and my co-author, Nathan Whitaker, that his measurement of success had little to do with sales numbers. We were blessed to have great numbers, but that's not what made the book a success in God's eyes. God's scorecard is different from ours. He doesn't judge by money, statistics, or fame, but by the state of our hearts and our desire to serve Him. God calls us to be faithful, not successful. Real success often happens behind the scenes, and only God can measure it accurately. The only thing that's really important is that His purposes are accomplished. New York Times best-selling author, Tony Dungy. 
Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. Family is an institution set forth by God, one man and one woman for life, with the outflow being children produced by that union. It's obvious to all that there is an attack on the family in our country, and especially on fathers. Whether it's the cycle of sin that persists in our families or the pressure from our government to exclude men from being intimately involved, the strategic battle is on for the souls of men. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com It's time to call your senators. We need to tell them to put an end to the liberals' filibuster, switch to a majority vote, and defund Planned Parenthood. Call the Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121 or go to afaaction.net. Senators respond to constituent calls. So call 202-224-3121 and tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood. Your call will make a difference. Saving you money, I'm Linda Bell with the Fox Business Network. Everyone wants to be paid what they're worth for the job they're doing. So if you're considering negotiating a pay raise with your current employer, Oliver Cook, Executive Director, Head of North America at Selby Jennings says, you need to do your homework. Go out there and actually get a good perspective for what people in your role in similar types of firms at a similar seniority are getting paid. Cook says you should choose the right time and place for the discussion. Typically a, a neutral location is, is often great to have that conversation. Maybe ideally outside of the office, um, over lunch, maybe a, over a, a drink after work, for example. He says your annual review is a great time to discuss a salary increase with your boss. You know, you want to make sure that you're at the forefront of, of those conversations and you know, you're making your case to, to the management team prior to, to those conversations taking place and decisions being made. Saving you money, I'm Linda Bell, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Senator Cotton. I want to commend both of you for your appearance here today for what was no doubt going to be some uncomfortable questions. Um, and I want to commend your companies for making you available. I wish I could say the same about Google. Um, I think uh, both of you should, and your company should wear it as a badge of honor that the Chinese Communist Party has blocked you from operating in their country. Uh, Perhaps Google didn't send a senior executive today because they've recently taken actions such as terminating cooperation they had with the American military on programs like artificial intelligence that are designed not just to protect our troops and help them fight and win our country's wars, but to protect civilians as well. Um, this is at the very same time that they continue to cooperate with the Chinese Communist Party on matters like artificial intelligence or partner with Huawei and other Chinese telecom companies are effectively arms of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and credible reports suggest uh, that they are working to develop a new search engine that would satisfy the Chinese Communist Party's uh, censorship standards after having disclaimed any intent to do so eight years ago. Uh, perhaps they didn't send a witness to answer these questions because there is no answer to those questions and the silence we would hear right now from the Google chair would be reminiscent of the silence that that witness would provide. So I just want to ask both of you, uh, would your companies ever consider taking these kinds of actions that privilege a hostile foreign power over the United States and especially our men and women in uniform? Ms. Sandberg. 
I'm not familiar with the specifics of this at all, but based on how you're asking the question, I don't believe so. Also, no. Wow. Welcome back to the program. StaceyOnTheRight.com, StaceyOnTheRight on Twitter and Instagram. So what's going on here? You're listening to Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton, Republican, Arkansas, questioning Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey and Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg on Capitol Hill about their commitment to U.S. national security and what their companies have done to counter foreign influence operations on social media platforms. Now, here's what's super important about that. Um, We are watching as our social media companies in an attempt to have operations in countries that don't have the same kinds of freedoms that we have as they adjust their platforms to comply with communist demands. In China, they don't have a free and open Internet. Chinese citizens are not allowed to mock their leader. They're not allowed to say bad things about their leader. If you're actually a member of the Communist Party, you're supposed to openly advocate for uh, Xiaoping and and all of his policies. And if you're a member of the party, you're also not allowed to say anything about bad about communism. So if you're just a regular citizen, what they're doing is, and in addition to controlling what people can see, controlling what answers you get back when you type something into your search window, they want to be able to monitor their citizens. They want certain things to be in place that permit them to do things that in a communist country, you're, you're like a piece of property. You're like a chair or, you know, this coffee mug. You are needed until you're no longer needed and you have to toe the line. You know, basically it's slavery. And with Google, they chose not to show up to the hearing And they are actually cooperating with these weird requests from the Chinese government. So Cotton asks a few questions of them. Do you see a difference between cooperating with the U.S. government and the Russian government or the Chinese government? Um, Do you prefer to see America remain the dominant global superpower? Dorsey said, I prefer that we continue to help everywhere we serve and we are pushing towards that. Dorsey also said, CEO of Twitter, We need to be consistent about our terms of service. Cotton pushed back on the idea that Twitter must approach business with the governments of Russia or China in the same way it will cooperate with the U.S. government. Dorsey replied, what I meant was a consistency of our terms of service. There will always be exceptions, but we want to have those go through due legal process. Cotton also asked about something called data miner, D-A-T-A-M-I-N-R, which is an official Twitter analytics partner. This, I mean, this is really like it's it's mind blowing because Jack Dorsey can't even keep his liberal employees from throttling down conservatives on Twitter. But he's dealing with the Russians and the Chinese. It seems to me like he would want to slow down these expansions into foreign markets until he could get his American employees to simply abide by the tenets of American society, which is free and open society, free speech and the ability to not have your. Uh, political ideology crushed in favor of the opposing political ideology based on which employee is looking at your account. So when they were talking about this data miner, the official and official Twitter analytics partner, they were also kind of probing the company's cooperation with Russian proxies in the past. And Dorsey said the issue was separate from the decision to no longer allow RT Russia today and Sputnik to advertise on the platform. He said that Twitter revoked Russian-funded media networks' ability to advertise once they found out about their role in the 2016 election. 
Dorsey estimated that RT and Sputnik had spent $1.9 million on Twitter. And he said, in consequence of that, we donated $1.9 million to nonprofits. In other words, they didn't want to profit off of Russian meddling in the election. Cotton concluded his time by asking Dorsey and Sandberg about WikiLeaks and their controversial founder, Julian Assange, whose Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, while director of the CIA, classified as a non-state hostile intelligence service. The committee has agreed with that assessment now for a couple of years now in a row. WikiLeaks remains active on both Twitter and Facebook in spite of the designation. Julian Assange is also on Twitter, despite of the designation, despite the designation. So Ms. Sandberg, why does Facebook allow WikiLeaks and Assange to remain active? She was asked this by uh, Senator Cotton. Sandberg responded that she wouldn't defend WikiLeaks or the actions of any page or actor on our platform, but WikiLeaks has been public information. It's available broadly on other media and as such, it does not violate our terms of service and remains up on our site. <laughs> Dorsey similarly answered, we also have not found any violation of our terms of service, but we are also open to any law enforcement insight that would indicate a violation of our terms. So if you can find a violation of our terms that we have overlooked, we would definitely be willing to consider it. Wow. So they can be pretty neutral when they want to. But when it comes to throttling down conservatives, they're definitely not neutral. He's even had to admit in recent weeks that his employees have a left-leaning bias and that he's not always able to stop them from executing that on users on Facebook and Twitter. Well, users on Twitter, Dorsey, admitting on, uh, to that on Twitter. So it's kind of, it's, it's like, it's weird. I was going to say it's fascinating, but it's not fascinating. It's weird. It's weird and it's uncool and it's not okay not okay that they continually allow the kind of pressure tactics on conservatives. So um, over at Market Watch, they're talking about a lot of kind of fear-mongering over a so-called tech wreck. The NASDAQ composite is on pace for its worst week since March 23rd. Um, and I, I just think it's pretty interesting. Um, and then they also have incorrectly reported on this Cory Booker story over here at MarketWatch.com. He did not release Kavanaugh documents, documents that were classified. They weren't, they weren't classified. They were declassified or made available the night before. This isn't hard information for anyone to find. Um. So they're also reporting that the shrinking of America's middle class is finally ground to a halt, which is great news. And it's news that should be trumpeted everywhere because it's a result of the Trump economy. So you've got upper and lower classes increasing their size over the past decade. And this is a great turnaround story because at one point the American middle class had appeared to be shrinking, you know, decade over decade. Just over half at 52 percent of American adults lived in a middle class household in 2016. That's up slightly from 51 percent in 2011 but down from 54% in 2001 and a whopping 61% of households in 1971. Now, what can we connect those two things to? In 1971, the number of households that were married in an intact traditional marriage, their first marriage, was much higher than it is now. The divorce rate was much lower. The out-of-wedlock birth rate was 
just amazingly lower than it is now. But I don't see any connection here in their reporting. The fact is, the higher the out-of-wedlock birth rate, the lower the number of people are going to be able to make it into the middle class. A hallmark of middle-class families in America is that they are two-parent households. A man and a woman married to each other. They have no kids before they enter the union, and they are able to achieve the American dream. Why they don't note that, I guess because it's Market Watch, but they could note that Cory Booker release some documents. You know what I mean? Like the, there's a little bit of a double standard there on what they can report, what, what's considered to be news. And I've actually had people say, oh, you're always drumming the whole traditional marriage thing. Well, somebody's got to talk about it. Somebody's got to tell the truth to people who are considering, well, I just want to be a mom. Or I, he's my boyfriend. If we have a baby together, it's just not that big of a deal. Yeah, it is. It's a big deal. And for women who largely these decisions rely with us because it's a yes or a no from the woman that precipitates the whole thing, we've got to start being smarter about the way we start families. If you're not married, you shouldn't be starting a family. And so if you're in a situation where you're already a single mom, am I condemning you? No. But I'm talking about people who are not in that situation already. If you're not already a single mom, you shouldn't plan on being one. If you end up being a single mom through widowhood or some other unforeseen circumstance, God works with us all. There's, there's no condemnation. But goodness gracious, there's just an explosion of young people deciding that they're going to go ahead and have a baby with their boyfriend and be a single parent. And then we're shocked over at MarketWatch.com when, yes, we've now hit the bottom and we're kind of trying to climb back up. But if we're ever to get back to that 61% of Americans, that number from 1970, 61% of Americans living in middle-class households, then we have to reverse the trend towards single parenthood. Also, divorce is another wealth zapper. People who get divorced are much less likely to achieve wealth when they reach their you know, kind of third um, trimester of, of life. You got your first where you're growing, getting an education, entering the adult workforce, and then you have the middle where you're marrying, having kids, raising kids into adulthood, kind of booting them out of the house, then you have that last part of your life, that last segment, that last third, is where most Americans who are going to achieve wealth, that's, that's where they reach that point. Their earnings peak, their savings peak, they no longer have children at home, they're able to do a lot more with their money, savings, investing, et cetera, and they're able to get into wealth. Well, you can't get there if you're a single parent trying to battle somebody in court every other month for child support payments or not getting any child support payments at all because you haven't seen that guy since the baby was born or before that. Nobody wants to tell the truth. It's as if telling the truth is some kind of offensive act when most people would say, you know, if, if you have any sense, you hear someone give you that warning and you're like, oh, so that's what I need to do. So it's really just a decision that I'm making. It's not about some you know, invisible white guy who's controlling all the things from behind a black curtain. It's not about America being a racist ethno state or a place that, you know, only white people can survive in. It's about making the decision. I'm just not going to have any kids before I get married. And then getting married and then having the kids. And it's, it's not about only having one or two kids. You can have all the kids you want. It's about doing things in proper order. Lining yourself up for blessings 
which some of which include living in a middle class household in America, which makes you at the very tip of the spear on this planet for great living conditions, great opportunities. I mean, middle class here in America is like upper middle class in Europe. It's it's all you have to do is make some good choices. So in the piece a little further down, he, they start quoting and this this always comes into these stories. Um Nearly half of Americans at 49% consider themselves to be middle class, and only one-third of those that do are still satisfied with their financial situation. And this is according to a survey of 2,000 people, which was conducted by market research group Mental. Americans want access to opportunities that improve the overall quality of their lives. This attitude may be related to income inequality. There it is, with people of average incomes feeling relatively unsatisfied with what they have compared to the top 1%. So you're still working on things. It's okay. I I hate that they say income inequality. You should be competing with yourself. So what did you make last year? Are you making more than that this year due to your hard work, determination, and effort? Oh, and also prayer. Instead of saying that person over there is earning a whole lot more money than me, how about you just worry about yourself? You will make more strides in earning money, worrying about yourself and improving yourself than you will sitting up looking at somebody else who has something. It says 71% of college degrees consider themselves middle class with just 58% of uh, people with high school diploma or less, according to a survey by Gallup. Yet college graduates in 2017 are shouldering $1.3 trillion in student debt. Put down the... You know, gender studies degrees and get a degree in science, technology, engineering, or math. And then you'll be making more money. All right, that's the show. We'll be back with more tomorrow. God bless you. Have a great night. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.